0: Father in heaven, it's good to rise early. It's it's great, Father, uh, to be healthy and to wake up and to feel good and um, to be able to come and gather with other men who love you and want to know your word. And Father, uh, as we look at Daniel, what uh, I know in my own life, I am challenged. And I want the faith of a Daniel and a Shadrach and a Meshach and a Bendigo. I want that kind of faith, and I pray, Father, that you would allow each of us in this room to have that kind of faith, that we would not give in to the pressures to conform and to compromise, but that we would, in our moment of testing and trial, prove to be true, Lord, uh, men whose hearts are fully devoted to you. And so would you bless our time this morning, and Lord, would you allow us to move from here to go into our small groups, uh, to have a time of of just authentic and real conversation that we would do business, Lord, um, with each other and the ways in which you're challenging us at home and at work and in our communities. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said in my prayer, there are, uh, you know, I just read, uh, this is a shameless plug here, just read one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, it is in my top ten, there's no doubt about it. It is called Unbroken. And uh, it is about a man, It's I think it's the New York Times, still number one. It's about a man who um, survived in a concentration camp um, in Japan during uh, World War II. And, you know, you read this story and you hear about how he survived after getting shot down, how he survived in the ocean with the sharks swimming, and then he survives in this concentration camp. And you read that and you just go, oh, man... You can call me Mrs. Holmes for as long as you know me, all right? Because that guy right there, that is a, a beast of a man in his courage um, and just in his perseverance in trial. There, there is just something about reading about how resilient he is. And, you know, when I read Daniel, I just sit there and I go, wow. I mean, Daniel 1, Daniel 2, Daniel 3. And as we go on, you know, as I shared last week, these first six chapters are six hero stories. And with each chapter, you know, if you're paying attention, you read it, and you just go, man, what resolve, what strength, what faith. I want that kind of faith. I want to be that kind of man. And so there's just uh, great examples of what it means to stand firm in the midst of of trial and suffering, to refuse to compromise. If you remember, um, in chapter 1, Daniel is and his buddies are exiled. They're exiled to the country of Babylon, and the ruler over Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. Right And they were taken from Judah. they were Judah's best and brightest, taken from Judah, held captive, and removed to Babylon to be assimilated into the Babylonian culture. And Daniel and his friends refused um, Nebuchadnezzar's or the king's food, right? And we read in uh, chapter one, verse eight, I love this verse, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And we see right here at the very beginning, Daniel's faithfulness in the midst of the pressure to conform. And then in chapter 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And this dream troubles him. And he, he calls all of his counselors together and he says, hey, I got a deal for you. I had a dream. And I want you to interpret it for me. And they go, great, tell me the dream. And he goes, no, 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 you don't get it. I want you to tell me what I dreamed, then I want you to interpret it for me. Well, obviously no one could do that, but God allows Daniel to have an understanding of the dream, and then he does interpret it for him. And it's a, as you know, it's of a statue in five parts, and the, the top of the statue is made of gold, and Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you represent the golden head. The kingdom of Babylon represents, uh, the head represents the king of Babylon. And so he interprets the dream and he is promoted and finds favor in Nebuchadnezzar's eyes. And so then you get to chapter three, where we are this morning. And some, you know, Weirsby in his commentary speculates that, or others have speculated rather, that maybe there's there's about a twenty-year gap between chapter two and chapter three. We, frankly, we don't know. Um but it's ironic to me that uh, Nebuchadnezzar hears, hey, the head of gold represents your kingdom, and so what does he do? Well, he, he goes and just makes a statue, of, right, of gold and says, hey, guess what? This is what's going to happen. Every time you hear the, the noise, uh, then I want you to bow down and pay homage to me. And so there's this incredible pressure to conform, because in, in chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar builds the golden image, and then the king's officials gather for that dedication, and then in 4 through 6, he makes that decree. Hey, you're going to worship this statue, or else you're going to pay with your life. And so the people begin to worship the statue. And so there's this incredible pressure to conform that we see in verses 1 through 7. And in the second part of the chapter, we, re- we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's refusal to conform. Great men, heroes of the faith. And how they stand true, stand firm in the the midst of this trial. So what happens beginning in verse 8 is that the Babylonians, when you see Chaldeans maybe in your Bible, that is interchangeable for the word Babylonian. It's helpful to know when you read through here. So Chaldeans, Babylonians, same people group. Different words, same people group. So the Babylonians report that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are refusing to bow down and worship the statue. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he gives them an ultimatum. Hey, wait a minute. Why aren't you bowing down like everybody else is? If you don't bow down, you're going to pay with your life. And then you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's resolve to remain faithful. And it's here that we see a passage of scripture that I think is is key throughout this book. It's this kind of faith that's exemplified in verses 16 through 18 that when I read this book, I go, I want that kind of faith. I want an even if kind of faith. you know what I'm talking about? See, we often live with an if kind of faith. If God does this, if this happens, if my circumstances turn out okay, if it works out the way I want it to, God and I, we're going to be great. And these three men live with an even-if-not kind of faith. Look what it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But look at this. But even if he does not, But even if it doesn't work out the way I want it to work out, even if he doesn't answer the prayers according to the way I've been praying, even if he doesn't answer it, O Nebuchadnezzar, the way I hope he answers it and says this, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I want that kind of faith. Regardless of whatever circumstance I find myself in. Do you see what they're facing right here? They're facing certain death, as far as they know. And to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And their response to Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of that trial is, Oh, hey, let me tell you something, Nebuchadnezzar. God's able to deliver us out of your hand. He's able. But even if He doesn't, I trust and know that He is great and He is good. And so either way, I win. You lose. You lose. Throw me in. Let me live. He's able, to, he's able to save me. And I have complete trust in him. I want that kind of faith. I want the even if not kind of faith. And so we know the story, right? That, that, um, that they're escorted up there to be thrown into the fire. The fire is so hot it actually kills the attendants right, surrounding them. And they're thrown in, and all of a sudden there's not three, but there's four. You and your groups could talk about who the fourth might be. right? And the men are spared. And so then Nebuchadnezzar then makes another decree, just like he did at the end of chapter 2. And he says, hey, now I know who the true God is. And if anybody speaks ill, ill of these three men's God, they are to be torn limb from limb. When you read about Nebuchadnezzar, when you read this, you don't read about a stable man here, right? I mean, you kind of think a little bit like Gaddafi, right? Weird, strange, right? Erratic. That's Nebuchadnezzar for you. But that's chapter 3. And um, a couple of takeaways I want to share with you. And that's this. The daily pressures to conform and compromise our faith provide us with the opportunity to do three things. You see, you, you see in chapter two, or three rather, there is an incredible pressure to compromise. All those three men had to do was just go, hey, you know what? Yeah, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and bow down before this thing because that fire's hot. And then maybe we can ask forgiveness later. Maybe we can make excuses later. But they choose not to conform. They choose not to compromise. And as I've put here, that the daily pressures to conform and compromise our faith provide us with the opportunity to discover the true nature of our faith. When it was all on the line, we find out what kind of faith these men had. Right? And same thing's true in our lives. Same thing's true this morning. Today, as you face trials... You know, you're not fortunately going to be put in front of a fiery furnace, at least I hope not. But absolutely, absolutely, you're going to feel the pressure to conform. You're going to feel the pressure to to compromise your faith and what it is you believe. As believers, I hope that every man in this room constantly feels the pressure of swimming upstream a little bit. Because that just tells me that you're walking with Jesus. And if you don't feel that pressure, if you're like, well, man, I just don't know what you mean. I'm challenging you, man, to live according to the Word of God. And when you live according to the Word of God, over and over again, we're told that, hey, we're aliens and strangers in this world. We're ambassadors for Christ. You should feel the current going against you. As you continue to submit to God's will. And so... That, that pressure can form, it will allow us to discover the true nature of our faith. What kind of faith do we have? Do we have an even-if kind of faith? Or do we have a very conditional faith? Hey, God, if it works out just like I prayed, I'm in with you, I love you. Or do, we kind of, or do we have that faith that says, Hey, even if it doesn't work out the way I hoped it would work out, I'm going to continue to believe that God is good And that God is in control. It's hard to live there, men. It's hard in the midst of when you feel the flames and you smell the smoke. It's hard. But that's the kind of faith I pray I have. And it's the kind of faith I pray each of you have. Secondly, the daily pressures to conform and compromise our faith provide us with the opportunity to declare the greatness of our God. You see, this gave them the opportunity to speak of the greatness of God, and the goodness of God, the sovereignty of God. You see, it's, it's one thing for people to look at us, right, when things are going well, and go, man, you, you're, a, you're a professed to know and, and walk with God. It's altogether different. It's a whole different platform that you get to speak from with, while during trials, that when the spotlight's on you, others look at you and you're able to say, hey, even if not, even if this doesn't work out the way I hoped it works out, I believe God's good. I believe God's in control. God's on His throne. And that will stop a watching world and cause them to wonder about who it is that you serve. It's in moments like this that that we get to declare the greatness of our God. Thirdly, the daily pressures to conform and compromise our faith provide us with the opportunity to watch God show up in miraculous ways. You see, when you refuse to conform, when you refuse to compromise... And you step out in faith, no longer trying to control on your own, no longer trying to manipulate the situation, but stepping out in faith, watch God show up. Some of us have never seen God show up in ways that would make people kind of go, wow, that's incredible. Some of us don't have stories because we have yet to go, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to swim against the current. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to declare your goodness in the midst of the pressure to conform and live differently. And I'm going to trust that you're going to show up in a way that can only be explained by your hand at work in my life. The pressure to conform it is, is great, often. It is great. But it's not the time to cower or feel sorry for ourselves It's the time, then, to discover the true nature of our faith, declare the greatness of our God, and watch God show up. So corresponding to that, I leave you with three questions. Number one, in what ways are you currently feeling that pressure to compromise your faith? Unmistakably, in a room with this many guys who are purposing to walk with Christ, how are you today feeling the pressure to conform? to give up how are you feeling that kind of pressure this morning secondly how can you take advantage of this opportunity to declare the greatness of god has it ever occurred to you that perhaps you're not in that situation just by happenstance but you're in that situation as a divine appointment so that you could be god's man And so that you can declare the goodness and greatness of God to a watching world. And then finally, what are you praying for the Lord to do through this situation? What would it look like if God were to show up in your life today? In a way which other people would go, man. Not only is that guy serious about his faith, but there just may be something to it. He's not just the guy who goes to church on Sunday and wakes up early and goes to a Bible study. This man lives for God. It affects the way he spends his money, relates to people, treats employees, treats customers, cares for clients, responds to his wife, remains faithful, handles money. There's something different about this guy in his refusal to bow down, his refusal to cower. He has an even-if-not kind of faith. Not a convenient faith, an even-if-not kind of faith. And what would it look like if God were to show up today? What are you praying God does? More than, oh, Lord, just help me keep my job. More than just, oh, Lord, help me be happy, healthy, and wise. But, Lord, show up. Use me in a way that would be unmistakable that your hand's at work in this situation. And that's my prayer for you and for me, that the Lord would give us that kind of that kind of faith, that courage and that boldness. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you for the example of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, I thank you, Father, for the book of Daniel and how it challenges us. And I pray, Lord, that we would exemplify an even if not kind of faith today. In every area of our lives, that Lord, uh, I pray that when we come in here on Thursdays, that we're tired from swimming upstream every day. And that Lord, when we gather in our groups, we would refuse superficial conversations. And, uh, and Father, we would be renewed in our faith and our strength to go back out there and be the men you call us to be. And so Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to serve you. And I thank you for Jesus. Um, who gives us the, the ultimate example of refusing to compromise and also, Lord, extends forgiveness for those times, Lord, when we fail You, when we live by that conditional faith. I thank You, Lord, that um, we have another opportunity today to be Your men. And pray, Lord, that You give us the courage and the faith and the boldness to do so. In Christ's name, amen.